All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. This is episode number 60. We are five away from my favorite number. I'm not going to tell you why it's my favorite number, but just so you know, 65 is my favorite number. Don't know who my special guest will be for 65, but that's going to be interesting. My guest today, though, is Russell Rhodes. Russell is a finance uh, professional educator and with an expertise in derivatives and risk management, he is also the author of several books on finance and investing with a focus on options and volatility. I know what some of those words mean. Uh, he, is, he is most well known for his book, Trading VIX Derivatives, Trading and Hedging Strategies Using VIX Futures, Options and Exchange Traded Notes. A shorter title was taken. He is also a clinical associate professor at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University. We're going to talk about college kids, how they're being educated and keeping up on the economy, whether they have high hopes or if they're screwed, and as well as chat, GPT, and anything else that comes up in our conversation. Russell, just so you know, chat, GPT did help write a little bit of that introduction for me. It's, oh, is that, the, is that the thing that you get when you put my name in? Because uh, It is I, four. I'm, I swear, I, I promise, because I, I, I I, I'm pretty much an open book about everything. Someone else told me this. I didn't go in there and put my name in. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it was it yeah i i they sent it to me and i saw it and it, it sounded kind of it basically sounded like uh just the bios that had shown up on on the websites of the different places that i've contributed to or you know worked so yeah I mean, that's what it pulls from right it it yeah. pulls if this pulls from the internet and spits out information back from the internet um mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about later also we are matching oh, yeah. sweaters we are matching oh yes we are no we're, we're is, looking if you was, can't be smart look smart it was 80 degrees in Hoboken last week, but it's still sweater season in my book. So, Russell, thank you for doing this. Um, you are a friend of Mike Wilkins. I am um, a good friend he, of Mike Wilkins. I didn't know you were friends until after me and him did our podcast. Um, I know. Small world. So, it's, it's funny. It's funny how that works. Podcasting brings people together. Um, I do consider Mike a good friend of mine now because he's been on the podcast twice, which is very interesting. So, please, Russell, introduce yourself to sure. the world and uh, let people know who you are and what brings you here. Okay. Well, so, um, yeah, my name's Russell Rhodes and I'm a friend of Mike Wilkins. <laughs> no. So now I'm, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably, I may be your oldest guest ever. That might, I, I think I might actually, I, I watched a few of your videos ahead of time. So I'm toward the end of my career instead of the beginning of my career. And I'm spending the end of my career, uh, teaching finance at the Kelly school of business, which is an awful lot of fun. It, it, when I would, when I, when I, had the education part of my career that was more the professional education. Yeah. I'd be going to uh, events on behalf of one of the exchanges and you got, you know, a bunch of grumpy old guys, my age that have lost money in the markets and just want to show up and bitch about it. Uh, yeah. It, now I've got the hope for the future in the classroom uh, as long as they're awake and, and, you know, not playing on their phones and stuff. Uh, so there's, all, there, there's one or two students that, that just keep me going. And that's, that's why I like being here. Uh, before that, I, I was on the buy side for about 15, 20 years or so at a, a handful of hedge funds. Um, kind of made the transition into talking about the markets instead of uh, acting in the markets uh, when SIBO needed somebody to work in their education department. Uh, seemed like a good, fun job. So I, I took that on and worked my way in this direction. Oh, what's kind of funny about that is... Um, I'm I'm actually going back into the money management end of things in the next couple of weeks. It hasn't been publicly announced yet, but um, I'm going to continue to be a professor here, but I'm actually going to be managing um, some volatility-related funds uh, by the end of this year for an investment firm. 
Oh, it all comes. So it made a big circle, and that's the first time I, I even said that out loud to anybody, but but you and and my wife and my teenage daughters who don't care. It's great company. It's great. It's great yeah. company to be in. I now consider myself an official <laughs> member of the Rhodes family. Um, so I'm glad. I'm glad it comes full circle. Let's hope it's not goes too far. Oh my God, it's a giant ass cup. I love it. So Bucky's. I coffee I heard- in the morning and portable urinal in the evening. Is that Bucky's. is that your is that your mascot for the university? No, this is a southern truck stop place. Okay, got it. Okay, Sorry. I'll, I'll give it a Google. Okay, so I mentioned mascot because I, I heard I heard from a little bird that you were once a mascot for a uh, minor league baseball team. I was. So oh I'm going to start there because I was I always like poking on people for their fun facts. Like actually, uh-huh. I'm thinking about it now. The oldest person on this podcast might have been Barry Soames, who is an author. Um, in in from Maine, and he was in clown college like way back in the day. <laughs> so that was his fun fact. Like any fun facts, yeah. we'll see what, what we can go down. So tell me about your time as a mascot for a minor league baseball team. Um, well, it, it, I, I actually worked five summers, and that was one of the jobs. I was a bat boy. Um, and this was the double A affiliate of the Expos. Uh, Tim Raines was on wow. that team. That's wow. uh, Terry Francona was on that team. Wow. Uh, it, yeah, there are a couple of there there are a couple of other big names that are escaping me right now, but those are the two that um, I bumped into Tim Raines and talked to him about it, and, he, and God knows he didn't remember me, but it's just because he's around the the um, around the White Sox. Um, but yeah, I've never I've always I got to get to a game and get within earshot of Terry Francona and just try to get his attention for a second and go, hey, by the way, you know, you and I, you and I were both on the Memphis Chicks. Uh, then, um, the next, the next summer, uh, they needed somebody to put on the, uh, the big pink suit and I volunteered. I got 25 bucks a game. I got free beer at the end of the game in the locker room with the players. Uh, even when I was a bat boy as well, uh, they, they didn't really frown on 13 and 14 year olds drinking back then. Uh, but I spent a season as, um, blooper for the Memphis chicks, which I don't know how blooper and, you know, I mean, I understand where the phrase comes from, but uh, the Chicks were were an Indian-based team. You think they may have gone that direction, but maybe they were had enough foresight not to go in that direction. Uh, with maybe the a little, little, little yeah. too, a little too on the nose. Yeah. So yeah. I, I've never actually spoken to a mascot, but I've always had a few questions. I've always wanted to ask because some mascots are just incredible, right? You try uh-huh. to talk to them, they don't actually talk to you because that's part of the job. Yep. Some of them take it very, very, very seriously. I remember uh, the Billiken. From um, was that St. Louis? Yeah, Saint, the yeah. St. Louis Billiken came into came into work one day. I got a picture with it, and then ever since, everyone thinks I went to St. Louis. But no, like this guy was like doing backflips in studio and doing these crazy stuff. And like I wanted to ask him, it's like so when you take a picture with someone, right? Like if so, uh-huh. a little kid, a little kid comes up, you're interacting, you do the wave, you take a picture. Yeah. Do you smile? Under yeah. the, under under you the know head? what? I've never thought about it before, but yeah, um, you're you're yeah. I, I, your body, your body language is, still that, transfers over. Yeah, and and I, um, yeah, I've done more recent mascot work. Um, I the, the reason that that I I go yeah right off the bat was because I for for my kids grade school uh, normally they'd have a teacher that would put on the bear suit for mm-hmm. different events. And the kids would all try to guess what teacher it was. So to fool them, <laughs> I started being the uh, the Lane School bulldog. And when I would see my kids, but they, and they would know it's me, 
um, I'd get a big old grin on my face. So yeah, I, and that's why I reacted so quickly. That's was um, yeah, you just you know automatically. If if this were only audio instead of having video on, I think my face would look exactly the same as you know the my expressions. So, so yeah, always, you can think of it funny, like right? that. Uh, you, you see, you see Mickey Mouse or Goofy at Disney, right? And always like, oh, hoo, yeah. hi. And it's like, are they are they going ha who ha? Are they just going? Yeah, <laughs> like, like all all sad face because they're it's ninety degrees and they're a fucking oh, giant yeah. Mickey Mouse costume. I you know a hundred degrees at game time on the AstroTurf and I'm wearing a big pink fuzzy suit. Uh, well, uh, the, the the Expos, the shame the Expos yeah. aren't around anymore. Montreal Expos, mm-hmm. they had great players. They had um, no Clemens on the Blue Jays. Charlie uh, Lee, Vlad Guerrero. Uh huh. Um, Tony the Tony Quino, he's on the Padres. I can't remember. Yeah, he was a Padre on um on expos right now, but the biggest one was Vlad Guerrero. And mm-hmm. then now that now they're now the nationals, they moved there in 2005 from what yeah. I remember. So big baseball fan, Russell. Uh, I have been off and on, you know, being with the minor, minor league team, yeah, probably paid more attention to, to baseball than anything else yeah. growing up. Uh, it seems to have, have shifted to college. Uh, and it, maybe because I've been, I, I was at Loyola when they made their final four run, you know, and now I'm at Indiana, which has a really good basketball team and plays football, but I have, yeah, I have schools that I I'm willing to pay attention to now as opposed to maybe in the past. So I've kind of gone in that direction. Uh, I bore people to death and, and actually have people that I root for in golf. Mm. If you can imagine <laughs> that. So, uh, Oklahoma state where I just got my PhD has uh, a handful of uh, alums that play on the PGA Tour, uh, like um, Victor Hovland, who I just think is probably, he's probably a complete dick in person, but at least on camera and everything I've heard, he is just the nicest, most genuine guy on God's green earth, you know? And then um, Ricky Fowler uh, also went to Oklahoma State. Um, You know who he's married to? I have no idea. He's married there. There's, you know, there are always uh, different, you know, pictures of gorgeous girls that just kind of catch on forever and ever and ever. Yep. And there's one of a pole vaulter. That's actually his, uh, his wife. Oh, super and, cool. Yeah. yeah I do, he, I do, he married, I he played, he's got a great job and he married very well. I, I do know Ricky Fowler. Uh, I used to play golf high school. And then as soon as I turned 18, it got too expensive to play. It was like $60 a round for like 18 holes, which honestly, not that bad of a deal. But when you're 18 and broke, you, you stop that's playing. your budget man yeah that, that's yeah. your budget right that's what that's yeah. like it gets like a gallon of gas these days it's a full tank of gas depending on what car you drive um <laughs> so how do you go from mascot well i guess yeah through your, yeah go, go, tell me about mascot to professor now through your career ah. how did you end up becoming a professor uh or a clinical oh. associate professor first off what is a clinical associate professor in like why okay. the clinical <laughs> well okay there you know, you know you what doctorate you know what? Well, I do have my doctorate, but you don't have to, to be a clinical. Okay. Um, you know, you hear, you know, everybody kind of knows what tenure is. Um, you can be a tenure track, track professor. And generally a tenure track professor is, is somebody that would be an associate tenure track professor, which is the level I am in clinical, um, would probably be 40 uh, um, you know, in on the way to becoming a tenure track professor, they've in the reason I say they're 40 and I'm 55 at my point, um, all the experience that they've needed to get to the point of where they're getting really close to tenure is teaching and really academic research. 
uh, to get to the point of being a, uh, to really be a clinical professor at um, a good university, uh, you need to maybe be known within your industry uh, for, for whatever topic you're teaching. And, and I kind of built that one up, but it's a much easier thing if you actually have a PhD. So SIBO, uh, when I was there working in the education department, uh, they had a tuition reimbursement thing that kind of helped me uh work toward getting a PhD, but my intent behind getting the PhD was to end up working at a university. And even though I'm, I'm not a tenure track guy, um, they, they really like having that PhD because for accreditation purposes, a certain number of courses have to be taught by PhDs at universities. And then you can have some adjuncts and some other things. And uh, for lack of a better way to put it, I don't count against that score even though I'm a, you know, a clinical type professor. So, um, no, I just, I, I found that I really liked uh, interacting with, with college groups that came to the SIBO and got, got invited to teach at a couple of other colleges and then worked up to Loyola and decided this was going to be the end of the career. So that's kind of how I got there. That makes sense. Just, you know, wind down and give back pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And I do feel like I, 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 I've got, I, I got a former student at Loyola that I helped out an awful lot. Uh, mom was a single mom from Poland. Uh, she still, she lived with her mom. Her mom, you know, was uh, a Polish maid basically. And um, I kind of gave this person some guidance uh, and help them out interviewing wise. And now they're almost making six figures at one of the exchanges. Excellent. That's, uh, that, that's and I, I, I get more satisfaction out of that than anything I've ever done or, you know, ever done, you know, professionally. Yeah. I, I just, I really like that, you know, that give back. Tarashuk is Polish. So uh, <laughs> it's always, it's always help. It's always good to hear you helping a fellow Polak. It's always good to hear. So like what, what, what class do you teach specifically? Okay. Um, what is like, what's the name of the class and what is it? What is like the, I guess the um, curriculum look like? Or it's the uh, syllabus? Well, I teach, um, I, I teach both in the graduate school and the undergraduate school. And uh, for undergrads, uh, that'll be an easy lift because I just finished that, uh, finished teaching that about an hour ago. Uh, it's mostly, it's kind of like the second level finance class that's, that gets deeper into corporate finance and then also talks about how to value bonds and value stocks. Uh, so, you know, a lot more practical information than they're getting in some of the earlier finance classes. So it's, it's and, a little, it's like, it's like a little second tier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's it, like, like I said, I've been at a handful of schools and at, at, um, Loyola, it, it was the, the three tiers were corporate intermediate and intermediate finance and then investments here investments, the second one, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's where we are in that order. Uh, I teach a graduate class uh, in derivatives. Uh, which was one of the reasons I was brought over here. Uh, that uh, is a lot more theoretical than than you really need to get to get into uh, in the real world. You know, you you don't necessarily uh, really if you're trading options, you don't necessarily have to know uh, exactly how that price. You know, how the Black Scholes calculator calculates the price. In my class, you've got to know how that works. So uh, you know, take takes it a little bit deeper than you might need professionally for the derivative class. Is it, is it more lecture halls, like 50, 60, 70 kids? Or is it more smaller classroom, 15, 20, 30? Um, my, my undergraduate classes are like, 
I think both of them are about 45. Okay. Uh, some of the graduate classes that I teach have about uh, 50 students in them each, but it's not like a big lecture hall. Uh, it's more just like a, a oversized classroom. That derivative class that I'll be teaching, I think I'm only going to have about a dozen students, which which I'm I'm oh, looking forward I'm to that. I'm very jealous of that because you know gr- growing up, growing up, even um, back as elementary school, it was 22 kids typically per class, starting around second third grade, and mm-hmm. actually no second grade was 18 because I remember my teacher Miss Sheehan, God bless her, the greatest teacher I've ever had in my life, was like complaining to the class saying like. They're going to bump our kids up to 23 a class. And I go, that's awesome. More friends. It's blurting out eight years old. And she goes, no, 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 that's bad. Less learning. And I don't know why 20 years later that still sticks in my head. Mm-hmm. But it's so true. Because oh, I, yeah. I, think, oh, yeah. I think back at Hofstra, right? I went to Hofstra, Long Island. Journalism school. Most of my classes were very small. It was maybe like in a classroom, a bunch of computers, in a, like in, a, in, a, in a square, 20 kids. And then some of the, the – Core classes, you need to graduate because they want your money. Uh, was mm-hmm. about sixty kids in like a tiered, tiered lecture hall. Um, but I definitely learned more in the small classroom, not because it was my major, but yeah. also because it was a it was a smaller class. It's just easier mm-hmm. to engage. You know the people. It's easier to have a relationship with the teacher. So, yeah. from your perspective as a professor, what's the challenges and the differences between a fifty and sixty in a twelve student classroom? Oh gosh, it's um, it's night and day. You know, it, it, people don't like to ask questions in front of other people and people are easily distracted. And yeah, it, it's and it's easier to skip class if you're one of 60 as opposed to being one of 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. And I, you know, and I guess the, the you know, the other end of it, the the people that show up for this for a smaller class like that are very specialized and are really interested in what you're going to be teaching. So it makes for a better experience for the teacher as well. Probably easy to make lesson plans too. Oh right? yeah, right. Yeah. It's, if it's a lecture hall in sixty kids, it's just usually because I'm, I'm thinking specifically it was like ancient Greek literature, which was really cool because I love that stuff and like the stories mm-hmm. are really crazy, but it's just hard to read because it was written, God knows how long ago. But he was just up at the top of class, just talking and talking and talking, asking discussion questions and trying to keep up and take notes, and it's just it's easy to fall behind. Yeah. And oh, yeah. With business, I think it's even worse because it's a lot of it's a lot of definitions and like here's what this means and mm-hmm. make your flashcards that kind of like. So how do you like? What is the most? What is the best way to be successful in your class? Um. Oh, the best way to be successful is just come to class. But you know, write da- write down the stuff that I say. If if it's really important, I say this will be on the test. I use that old line. Um. And and th- do the assignments. Just keep up with the work. If I, I'm a big proponent of, um, of recognizing effort, mm. you know, and if I, if I have somebody that's, that, that stumbles out of the box and, you know, I don't necessarily grade on a curve, but let's say, I, you know, there's a class where three exams are almost the whole score. Uh, if somebody really flubs the first exam, but, you know, has a great comeback for the second and third period there, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take that into consideration with, with respect to grading. So uh, making sure that I see that you're putting forth some effort. Well, it's, I go back and yep. forth with the grading scale, right? Cause A's, mm-hmm. and, A's and B's are important. It's, it is the, the, one of the best ways to see if you actually know something, but it also doesn't prove, you know, something 
Like it's yeah. you, I, I've, <laughs> I have forgotten more than I learned in my time in school. I've forgotten. Oh, yeah. I have probably learned more in class that I got C's in than I remember in class that I got A's in. But so yeah. I, I think it should be up to the professor, right? If this, if mm-hmm. this guy, if the effort's there, they're learning, they improve, drop the lowest test grades to help them get a job or keep their scholarship, God forbid. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's definitely big. But you know, as a, as a professor, you do have to have that balance of okay, here's your little grade. That's the way a system yeah. works. But there is ways to kind of skirt that and cut favors. Well, I don't. I never go the opposite direction. Right. You know, and that 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 makes it much easier right there because nobody's going to complain about getting bumps. Um, usually, I ask people to keep it to themselves. I don't know if that that works or not. <laughs> but uh, kids talk, man. Especially, yeah. especially boys. Oh, I know. That gets no, like, no, like, guess what Rhodes did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and the adults, I mean, the, the MBA students do as well. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, they they do group projects together and start talking about each other's classes and stuff. I, I'm well aware that that they, they communicate maybe more than they should about what's going on in the class. So, yeah, I'm uh, luckily I haven't had to learn that the hard way where I say something that gets back around and gets me in trouble. I never say anything like that, but... Yeah. I have, I do hear they talk because I'll get questions. Do you really, you know, I, this sounds kind of sad. Do you really drive a Porsche? Yeah, it's 15 years old and got dents all in it. It's, uh, you know, an SUV one, but yeah. Porsche, I mean, Porsche. Where the hell did they hear that? You know, I'm not talking about it. I mean, I guess it just did, but I'm not talking about it in class. Oh, you never you know, know they, Russell. Well, I'm, I'm going uh, to cut that clip specifically and make sure it goes everywhere. It's got, it goes viral. I, Has, I drive a hashtag. Porsche. I drive a a Porsche that I think I could get six thousand bucks for. Well, I I, dri- I drive a twenty thirteen Nissan Altima. I could probably get a little more, only because it has forty thousand miles on it. So there you go. There there is there is that. Uh, let's, let's 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 stick to the students. Um, yeah. What careers are these kids going for? Like when when they take your mm-hmm. class, you are preparing them for what job? Um, mostly corporate, uh, mostly a finance job within a corporation, not Just necessarily what we in this country. Uh, well, not 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 necessarily, um, you know, to go into the investment industry, and that that's kind of the nature of Indiana. Indiana's um, very much of a manufacturing area. Yep. Um, you know, the the same students when I was in Loyola in in Chicago, they were all going to go into investment or banking type jobs, but down here because it's more, you know, again manufacturing and not not so much, uh, you know, finance from the investment end. Uh, they're they're generally going into uh, the corporate finance departments at really big companies. Well, the world is becoming more and more corporate. When I say the world, mm-hmm. I mean the United States, right? Um, yeah, it's. I would be I would be shocked if you said these students are going to go into small businesses and start their own companies. I would I would just generally be shocked because. Um, oh, go ahead, please. No, no, well, no. I I had one because I I that's something that I do. Uh, is you know is I I teach here at IU, but I also have a, a couple of outside consulting clients that are big financial firms. Um, and, you know, they'll ask me, well, how did you, you know, how could I do that? Cause they see the independence and I guess they think it looks kind of cool. And I said, well, the only reason that those entities are working with me is because I've got, um, you know, 30 years experience and I'm a known quantity to them. So it's not as easy as it looks, but yeah, they're, there, there's still an entrepreneurial spirit out there. There, there is. There, it's uh, always going to be, right? Myself, yeah, but yeah. here's the difference. I think I, this could be a generational thing. Um, young people, and this is a good and a bad thing, are entrepreneurial out of necessity. 
right? Yeah. I like, yeah, I can go from personal experience, right? I, you, I work a great job, 40 hours a week, pays me well. Um, I have health insurance. It's expensive, but I got it. I got retirement. I got it. You know, 40 years ago, even 30, 20 years ago, that would be enough to buy a house, have a kids, and retire, retire young. Yeah. Well, not retire young, but retire at a decent age. And you'd be there your whole career. That's just mm-hmm. not in the cards for young people anymore, which is a big reason I have this podcast, Entrepreneurial Spirit. Yeah. If I want a wife and kids and to get married and buy a house, I can't just rely on that one job. I need to have a podcast and try and make money this way and ask for donations when I hate asking for donations and like stuff like that. So I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be surprised that there's, there is an entrepreneurial spirit learning a business class to learn mm-hmm. about business. I wish I took one in college. I didn't take any business classes, probably because they were hard. Um, <laughs> so do you see that a lot, the younger generation? And do they complain about that a lot? Like how much, how much do your younger students complain about the world and the finances and how the student debt and all that works? I, I don't hear much gripe. You know, they haven't, I, I don't think the debt thing has hit them in the face yet. And there's oh, probably this ignorance glimmer. Is bliss. Ignorance is yeah. bliss. Uh, and there's probably this glimmer in the back of their mind that it's something they're not going to have to deal with because it's going to get canceled, which I don't, you know, I know. It, yeah, I know. It's, it's we can have that conversation, it's a, but it's not. It's a great talking point, but no, it's it's not. Um, no, there's and and they're they're getting jobs. Um, you know, again, they're not. You know, the investment industry is one that's probably that has been you know experiencing some cuts. Tech has been experiencing some cuts, yep. but you know, not you know core manufacturing. And if anything, uh, being it. Andy, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm stealing this number from one of the other professors, and he used this one at a, at a presentation. But said Indiana is the only state in the U.S. that has more manufacturing employees than government employees. Wow. Uh, and wow. and I know, I know. It, it, that that just tells you that. And the point behind that is we're seeing manufacturing coming back or trying to bring it back and bring more supply chain stuff coming back saying so, you know the middle of the country is actually doing very well or you wouldn't you wouldn't think that uh, by looking at the wall street journal but i think the middle of the country is doing it, it seems like we're doing pretty well well that's where the jobs are going to be right yeah. to biden's credit you know after COVID, he does he does want to bring jobs back whereas previously it was just easier mm-hmm. to ship them overseas because it's it's just cheaper labor and there's no laws over there compared to yeah. what we have over here. But we do we do need those jobs back, and the infrastructure is still there in you know Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, mm-hmm. that that Midwest part of the country. So yeah, it makes sense. The jobs are going to be there, and at least for now, it's still relatively affordable. Yeah. So what? In in you know, kind of kind of back to your question, you were asking, what do they gripe about? They're not griping about jobs. Mm. They're they're really not. Well, you know, that's good because you yeah. know what? They're in the right industry, right? I, yeah. I I hung out with a lot of well, I hung out with a few business people too, but people the people where it's just like okay, college wasn't necessary here. Like I have, I love having this conversation with people, especially in teaching and in college professions or what have you. This education, do you need to go to college? As I say this before on the, on, the, on this podcast plenty of times, as a journalism major, no, I would have learned way more in the newsroom at eighteen than I did in the classroom yeah. at twenty. Right, yeah. I my job live stream producer. I didn't learn that in college. Zero. I learned it on the job, but also podcast my own personal ventures was a big reason I stuck out. Now mm-hmm. your profession, business, that's where the jobs are. That's what the needs are. You know, this <clears throat> country is run on Wall Street, yeah. um, so that makes sense that they wouldn't be so worried because they're smart mm-hmm. and went to a job that they actually need college for. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, I'll tell you what they're griping about. So, and this was kind of for the first time ever last Tuesday, uh, I went out to happy hour with uh, a handful of, of my former undergrads. These are ones that had um, graduated last year and it was nine guys. And Oh my God, they, they just felt completely worthless within the world, really relative to women. Mm. They're like, you know, we're a dime a dozen to them these days. They keep getting affirmed by all this stuff on social media. I mean, they were just on a tear. You know, you'd have thought that I was the 25-year-old and they were a bunch of grumpy 55-year-olds. But it's the, it's, the, it, 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 it's the social stuff. I really think it's the social stuff. They're, you know, I, I don't know if it's because they lost a couple of years where they couldn't really be normal social or what. But um, relationships... And the social stuff is what they, what I hear the most griping about. Well, that's, that's standard. You know, if you mm-hmm. find a teenager or a young 20 is not complaining about girls, then he's probably gay, right? <laughs> 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 or he's just not interested. And yeah. then, and, and if he is interested, he's complaining about guys. So yeah, yeah. L- love, love life in a college student. That's that, that, that's yeah. not, that's not news. So yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that's still a thing. You know, there is plenty to go into about, um, and also, young women prefer stable men, which typically means they're older. And I think it was it was a study recently. I don't know who I forget. Oh, yeah. Someone can fact check me. It was like it was like sixty percent of young men under like twenty eight are single, but it's like forty percent of women are single. It's like, well, how's that happen? Well, they're dating older guys. Yeah, yeah. So my my wife uh, is five years younger than I am. Sounds about right. I didn't- yeah. yeah, my parents. I mean, my parents are three years pretty. apart. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest I have is my aunt and uncle. Well, I think it's nine years, nine or eleven. So, you know, the older you get, the less weird it is. So. <laughs> Just don't think about it. Hey, when he was a senior in high and senior in college, she was. I don't even know how old. Maybe, I don't maybe, even. Maybe, uh, maybe middle school. Uh, so maybe if it's eleven just, years. Yeah. But okay. Um, so your students, they yeah. uh, aren't worried about jobs. Worried about women. No, men are. So. That's good because April is financial literacy month. So they must be pretty financially literate. You know, all the people complain of why don't they teach about this in high school? They must have been taught that somewhere because here they are. Now, with the yeah. whole financial literacy argument, we need to teach this more in schools. How do you explain your students then? Because they seem to be pretty in it. Well, they, you know, they care about it. Right. You know what I mean? And that, I mean, they, they've gravitated toward, uh, you know, a pretty good school and, and a pretty difficult topic within a pretty good school, uh, because they've had the interest in it. I always had an interest in it, probably going, you know, going back to high school, uh, actually reading barons and looking in hand, you know, drawing out charts and crap like that. Uh, I had been doing that a long time before I ever made it to college. So I, I I gravitated toward the financial literacy. It didn't didn't get pushed in my face. I think for you know the ninety nine percent that don't major in finance, uh, there there should be some sort of uh, finance class that's like a life skills class. You know, just you know, this is how much. Uh, this is this is a, a little story. In my life. I, I don't know why she's latched on this one, but my wife would always talk about what is the ultimate cost of a potato if you put it on a credit card and you don't finally pay it off for a year and a half. Man, with the interest? Yeah, no, I mean, it would, you know, compound it. If, you know, if it's a dollar, it would be about a dollar twenty-five a year from then. But, you know, 
you know, how much, you know, you know, yeah. how much you really paying for it yeah, because how, you're putting you it on a credit that. card. Yeah. Well, credit's fake. Credit's not real. Yeah. Credit, credit's, <laughs> credit's made up. Yeah. So actually on the, on the podcast with Mike, uh, Mike Wilkins, we, we had a whole thing about credit cards and how, uh, like when credit cards really became huge, like inflation became huge because people decide spending money they don't have. And if you got rid of credit cards, inflation would probably just be gone because no one could afford anything and prices would tumble down because no one could afford anything. I mean, the economy would collapse, but yeah, that might happen anyway. Um, so what, what's, what's going to happen? What's the outlook? Yeah. Something's definitely going to happen. <laughs> what's, what's like the outlook of this, of this, this next generation coming up? Are they hopeful for the markets? Are they, are they in denial? Do they think we're currently in recession? Like most people my age? Or yeah, they, they do. They do. They, so they, so they, they see the writing on the getting wall. Jobs. Yeah. yeah. They're, and I think it's, I think they're getting that. Like once again, I think they're getting that from the news. Like does a college kid junior in college studying finance and business, do they trust Jerome Powell and the fed and what he's saying. Is he saying like Jerome Powell said? No, recently, they don't. They don't. They don't. And is, and okay, that's, is, and that's is that a good thing? Get, or bad because they get their they get their financial information from like Reddit and places like in chat boards and stuff mm, where you've got bad. the quacky people talking about uh, Jerome. I, I hate you, you're taking me down a different road on this one. Um, a lot of what they hear is you know rumors from chat boards and things like that, and uh, the, you know those are the guys that 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 are majoring in finance because they think right. they're going to be the next Gordon Gecko or, or something like that, yeah, uh, which sure. more power to them. They should yeah. be looking at the real world stuff. And, you know, I like one of them at a, at a student yesterday, like bring me uh, a pretty intricate option spread that they had heard about and asked me what they thought the motivation was behind it. We spent like 45 minutes trying to dissect the trade. Uh, you know, so there, there are, there are some of them that are that deep into the weeds with, with all of this. Well, Reddit Reddit forms can be, you know, very very good yeah. in terms of like hey, you could have gotten in the the uh, the GameStop thing very early and the meme stocks. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't suggest it now, but I'm not a financial expert. Nope. Or you they could have gotten into crypto, and if they got in too late, they lose everything. So yeah. those those yeah. Reddit forms to me are both just as credible as the Fed. You know, the Fed could be very very right, or they could be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So it it doesn't really matter. But so. What like what would you suggest they get their information from? Oh, Bloomberg TV. Mm, that's a good answer. <laughs> that's, that's I I um yeah blue. I mean, several of the hosts on Bloomberg have their CFAs. Mm-hmm. These people actually do know what they're talking about. Um, and I'm not to say that people on CNBC don't, but Bloomberg I'll, is I'll really say they don't. Well, Bloomberg, not all, I, I wouldn't say about all of them, um, but you know, I, I don't watch nearly as much as I used to. Um, but Bloomberg TV, the, these these folks, you know, understand have a deeper understanding of what they're talking about. But their audience has a deeper understanding of what they're talking about as well. So CNBC matches well with their audience, and Bloomberg matches well with professionals, and uh, you know. When I was trying to gauge this one back when I was at SIBO and I would go around and speak to CFA groups, uh, and, and the reason I did this was CNBC was losing viewers and people were worried that people were not as interested in the markets, and I thought they were moving to Bloomberg. But Bloomberg doesn't subscribe to the Nielsen rating, so we don't know if they are or not. So I started. I would go to a CFA group and i say, just real quick, um, how many of you, you know, business TV in the morning, Bloomberg, 80% of the people in the room. Right. So, you know, I, you know, you kind of, you kind of want to be with the smart folks on that one. Yeah. 
when it, when it comes to any information, mm-hmm. I, I, I do I, I like Bloomberg. Now they have their biases like anyone else does. They can be wrong about yeah. things like everyone else can. But typically, Bloomberg I think is a good source. Um, but Bloomberg Financial, that's it's very interesting. So, how do like when you're teaching a class? I'm gonna pivot here a little bit. When you're teaching a class, you, know, you have a syllabus, you got a game plan, then something, bam, Silicon Valley Bank happens, or bam, FTX happens. How much does that like? Does that come up in your discussion oh, yeah. at all? Oh, does, oh gosh, like, yeah. Do, do you kind of throw out a lesson plan and go, "All right, let's talk about this bankman fraud," or nah. just go? It's like, "All right, here's what here's what the government's gonna do with bailing out the banks. Here's what that means." And like, do you have this discussion with them, and how do they react to that? Um. Well, so my MBA, it, it's kind of two different responses. Uh, the MBA students know that that. You know, I I do things professionally. I com- comment on the markets professionally, and they you know they they kind of respect my opinion. So I mean, I when the Silicon Valley Bank thing happened, a student emailed me and said, "Could you do a short presentation on Silicon Valley Bank for us so we can have a better understanding of it?" So the MBA student asked me to do it, and I did. And I you, you that's gotta, great. Yeah, I mean, you got I take a lot of satisfaction from that. That you know that I'd be the person they'd think of. Um, and at the undergrad end, uh, there were things that there, there were several things that matched up with stuff that was already in the classroom. So I, I would pull that in um, and talk about, uh, I, I don't want to over technically on it, but uh, to the core, what Silicon Valley Bank did was they had a duration mismatch where their deposits and what they were using those deposits for that were supposed to take care of those deposits just had a gigantic disconnect. And it's a great way to explain why what I'm talking about in the classroom right now is important. Yeah, like I had to, I had to go a deep dive into it. You know, I, I should know these things, but I had to ask the question, you know, mm-hmm. what are bonds? Now, I, I know what they are. I know what they are now, but like it's bonds, a term I always heard, but something I never actually knew or understood. So mm-hmm. luckily, like, you know, I have this podcast. Um, I did think of you, Russell, but we, I think we were already scheduled, um, and I needed something really quick. So I went with Steve Sosnick, which was excellent. Oh, I yeah. love Steve. Me, yeah. me, and, me and him did a very long podcast on the whole SVB bailout um, and the crash and what it meant, and it was like right after it happened. So that was, that was, that was very, very exciting. I'm glad I got to mm-hmm. actually talk to him. I got these access to these people. So like your student, I'm very glad he reached out to you to get access because they probably have questions. They yeah. want to know what's going mm-hmm. on. What does this mean for them as students and as they enter the world? Um, yeah. did, did you get any pushback? Like when you when you like say, here's what happens, here's how it happens. Uh-huh. Do you get any like, I think that's bullshit and here's why. You know, um, not from what I, I think my students are, I, I can be very loud and boisterous and I think they might be a bit intimidated by me, so they mm-hmm. wouldn't push back too much. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mentioned I was out with some of the students that had recently graduated last week. Uh, one of them just kept, you know, wanting to debate me on everything about the markets. And he had not been one of my students and he was only a year out of school. So I, you know, he just, he, I do get pushed back. I mean, I do get pushed back from people right. a lot, but typically not from my undergraduates, the graduate students. Yeah. I'll get, I'll get some pushback from them about, about things sometimes. Are they, uh, are they more capitalist? Are they more kind of social Democrat? The capital, the flaws of capitalism change this. Are they more burnt down on, you know, burn your underwear down with the anarchy. Where, where do they kind of lean 
Oh my God. I don't want to say politically, but oh, the, politically. I mean, um, okay. You know, like how woke are you, they? You know, you can be <laughs> like, you can be like, you know, socially liberal and financially conservative. I'd say all of them are financially conservative. And then the social, it's the spectrum. So like the bleat, bleating heart capitalists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, so, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's and the, the reason that they're doing what they're doing is to, uh, you know, it, to, cause they want to move up the corporate ladder. Right. And, you got to play the know, game. NBA from Kelly is going to help with that. Yeah. They listen, I, I hate the game. I hate a lot of, a lot of things about the game, the game of capitalism, but that's the game and you got to play by the, you, you can't yeah. change. Sometimes it's easier to play than it is to change the rules. So it would, it would make sense to that, me too. Yeah. Like, yeah, these guys are going to, and girls are going to, are just going to play by the rules and, Listen, you you can hate you can hate the system, but that's the system we got. It's the system we got. Yeah, it's the game. You know, and if you want to, if you want to go try to play the game somewhere else, uh, I think the games are more difficult in other places than they yeah. are in the U.S. So that, uh, is, that is we might, we're not great, but you know we're definitely not the worst. It is interesting though. So from this, yeah. from this small case study of this year, X amount of students. Like people in my generation, you know, they want change. They want financial mm -hmm. change, but they're not going into those business. They're not going into those industries to do those changes. It's easy to say for a teacher in middle school to say, "Oh, we need to change capitalism." It's not a thing to go and get your degree in it and actually go and change it. The people who are going to yeah. go into it is saying, "Hey, man, this might be bad, but it is what it is." Mm -hmm. So that's not very hopeful for someone who wants change, like a social democrat. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the, the whole ESG movement has, uh, it's definitely moved what would be like the center for, you know, the financially conservative with respect to, to the social stuff. All right, ex explain uh, ESG. Let's kind of go down a little, um, little, a little ESG rabbit hole because I've heard some good things about ESG and some things, oh, this is this corporate pandering and bullshit kind of things about ESG. <laughs> um, I, I, my opinion, uh, ESG, uh, environmental, social, and governments, governance uh, investing. Uh, and m normally when everybody hears ESG, you automatically think about the green stuff, but mm -hmm. that's only a third of it. Um, the governance part is the part that I teach a lot. And uh, governance is basically that you've got your upper management uh, doing things that are in the best interest of the shareholders as much as they possibly can. Um, or I, I would say all the time, but uh, you got to give them a, a little bit of a mulligan in there at some point. And if they're not doing, you know, if they're uh, spending a couple million bucks on their wife's 40th birthday party of company money, uh, that's not in the shareholder's best interest. And that's something that we refer to as agency issue, where they're supposed to be our agents. And that's what governance comes down to is a company set up to where uh, management should be doing the right thing all the time. Uh, just having rules that they have to operate within and how well have they done uh, operating within that. So that's another third of it right there. Right. And okay, then let's, let's, let, 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 let's stick to governance. Okay. Go but remind go me, I want to talk about social. Social. Okay. Well, okay. I, I also want to talk about social because that's okay. where I think a lot of the tomfoolery comes from. So when it comes, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to governance, I'm boring. like what yeah. exactly is governance is that is government and like, no governance, governance, like, Governance. I'm trying to emphasize the, the yeah. second so, syllable. So what exactly is governance? Governance, it's management. It, but it's also the structure of a company that, you know, allows, uh, I'll backtrack a little bit. Uh, a, a company is so like, created. Like, 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 a, like a diverse board? Yeah, that, that well, that falls in the social. That's all, that's second funnel, they're okay. both though. It can, but it, it falls under, it does fall under social. Okay. Um, 
So, you know, let, let's just say that a company is set up and the management has no oversight whatsoever. There's no board of directors, uh, which uh, that's not how a company should be set up. Uh, well, that is a low, you get a low governance score on that. If you've got a board of directors that is diverse, but diverse in skills where you've got, you know, somebody that understands the financials, you've got somebody maybe that understands the legal that the company may encounter, and they are overseeing management properly on behalf of shareholders, that is strong governance. Um, and part of it can just be the people and how they're behaving, but another part of it can just be how is the company, you know, what are the company rules? You know, can, you know, can the CEO just give himself a $10 million raise and nobody's going to object to it? Uh, so uh, the process, okay. I guess, is where I'm going is the other part of governance. Right, so it's literally how it's run and how mm -hmm. like secure it is. Exactly. Right. So you, and how much confidence you have that you're not going to lose, you know, that, that, something's, that something from the governance end is not going to hurt your shareholder, your share value. Okay, that makes sense. So it's, yeah, it's always... Always about the shareholders. So it is. So you know, ESG score, right? Environmental, that's mainly for the public, right? Social, yeah. that can be for the public too. Governance, mm -hmm. that can also benefit the public. So how like, this doesn't maybe make sense to me. I could be completely off here. How can you have like ESG score, like a good ESG score, and say this is a good company for the public, but they still only care about their shareholders? Like, well, that's that. That's where the governance score balances with the environmental and social. Okay. Okay. But doing doing governance wise, doing things that for the shareholder could be making sure that uh, you know that that our chief safety officer is always making sure that all of our offshore drill rigs will not tip over and cause a huge you know li huge financial liability and a big black eye for the company, which hurts the shareholder. Well, you want the share the shareholder's interest is aligned with not doing that environmental da damage because management sucks. Right, but those those regulations also very expensive, which is also bad for the shareholder. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. But that doesn't fall that doesn't fall under governance. That that's government. Okay, that's that. I know. I I get what you're saying around that. But. Yeah, like it's it's kind of it's kind of hard. You you can't focus on like the good of the public and the good of the shareholder. Those two never match up. Well, that's it. I was when I was saying, let me backtrack for a second. And then we yes. kind of took a left. Um, when I was in, you know, when, when I took finance classes back in the day, um, you know, we were told that a public company was um, was created uh, to increase shareholder value. Yep. There's a in period in a, a private. Company that's is, not it. That's not it anymore. And the private company is to benefit the public. Yeah. No, it's it's um, a public company is created to um, in the to increase shareholder value and do no harm. Please. We added that, that, that got Please. added sometime in the last 30 years. Please, companies do no you. harm, come on. Well, who, that's you, what they're supposed you, to. They, they actually, who actually believes that though? Who goes, you know what? Yeah, these companies care about not doing harm. Come on, man. It's balanced, man. No, it's not. Do no harm. Yeah, yeah. Companies care about not doing harm. Sure, sure. Which company? <laughs> My company. I'm sure. I'm not gonna hurt anybody. My company. I'm a, I'm a I'm a one man wrecking ball over here. You got you gotta tell me Raytheon cares about not doing harm. Their whole business model is Their doing job harm. Their doing harm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you got to think that you know banks don't want to hurt. Never mind. Yeah, All right. Okay, <laughs> banks aren't going to do any harm. They're just going to gamble away your money, whether it's crypto where it's not real money or it's SVP <laughs> where it's kind of real money. Yeah. 
kind of your money. Yeah, well, it's, it's is Facebook going to do no harm when they sell your data? Hey, you can, you can ban TikTok, but hey, TikTok can just buy it from Google and Facebook. Is that part of do no harm? Oh, no, well, Facebook sells it to the Russians already. Right. Right, yeah, right. I know that. It, doesn't, that do, know, doesn't that do do harm? Is that following they, the government and not governance? So, no, governance is different than government. <laughs> I know, I know. Come uh, on, Russell. You're not I really convincing it. me oh, that ESG know, no, isn't no. a scam. Come on, ESG is something oh, no, no, scam no, no. I, I, have, I, I, don't, I don't believe in ESG at all. Uh, amazing. Yeah, it's... it's no, it's I not, know. I mean, I've never... I, you know, I, I, let me... Okay. I don't think that it is a... Um, but my job as your money manager... Yes, is to, you know, is really to try to meet your financial goals the best using the lowest risk that I possibly can. Um, if you tell me and then it, you can give me constraints, if you tell me that you don't want me to buy tobacco, then, you know, I, I don't do that. Right. Um, you know, that, and, and that's where I feel like um, the, the ESG really should be coming from is, you know, the clients that say, I don't want to invest in this industry anymore or I don't want to invest in this company uh, because, you know, they've, they've, they're a poor corporate citizen, you know, um, that's not, I, I just don't see how we get to that point. And as a manager, I'm supposed to be helping you outperform if, you know, if, if only investing in ESG friendly company or high scoring companies has proven to underperform the market, which it kind of has, it, should I be doing that? Yeah. And it's just like, well, okay, yeah, so who can qualify for an ESG score? I have a company, right? It's it's a local at-home business. Like, I can't qualify to get an ESG score. Um, well, you probably could get a scoring agency if you really, really wanted to. Um, I don't know what you would use it for. No, but public company, they're different rating agencies, and they all look at everything differently. And this is another reason that that I, I feel like ESG is not going anywhere for a while. Yeah. Uh, like you hear the term, yeah. young people want to invest in companies they care about and they believe in and have a good met. You know, well, really, really. Well, they want and to invest also, in and also young, pe young people want to move out of their parents' freaking house. Oh, so glad I did that. You know, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, they, they, they don't, you know, they, they want to, you know, they want to launch at some point. And they don't want and, to work two or three jobs just to barely get right, by. Right. So they, so. you know, they, they. They figure they figure it out very quickly. Yeah. All right, let's let's, let's yeah. go let's go to the S and the issue. Let's go about the social. Yeah. Social. That, see, that's that's where we're getting all twisted. Uh, and this is me. And I'm I'm just freaking naive. I, I me really too. I, I I really it, it's just a freaking weakness. Um. So you know the the social stuff. When I heard that you know when I and I worked with one of the I I actually helped create some of the ESG indexes. Uh, doing a consulting job. Um, and when, when, you know, we talked about the social part, corporate citizen, you know, are you sponsoring, you know, the local marathon? Do you do fundraisers for the children's hospital? Things like that. Good corporate citizen. Do you, you know, you know, encourage your, you know, do, do you encourage your employees to volunteer and use company time to volunteer? Stuff like that. That's really what I thought of as social. That sounds um, great. Now what it's becoming is woke. Yeah, what it's becoming is um, it's you, can, woke. you can correct me if it's, I'm wrong it, here. It, where it, yeah. it in in June, which is Pride Month, they change their colors to rainbow. That raises their ESG score. Probably does. It does. Yeah. I'm pretty sure people yeah. can fact check me on that. Or like, uh, well, so, go ahead. It's it's not that. It's the 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 like 
you know, this, um, and and I don't know this much about it, but I know, um, there's somebody that's transitioning that was, um, you know, doing a Nike sports bra. Oh, I think I know of it. I don't know details, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, I, I kind of, I just lost my thought on that one so badly. You have to backtrack and tell me what we were talking about. This is still like, this is a, con- this is a concussion thing. So Sorry. social. Yeah. I know you had your head at entry. Uh, yeah. You had uh, social, <laughs> social, social. Like, five, it, like, like if people are going, okay, did he really have a head injury? No, no, he did have a head injury. Another reason okay, why he pushed so, his podcast off a little bit because he had a big bruise on your face. Yeah. No. So yeah. So yeah. So, social. 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 Yes, so, social so this, this, this still in person. Yes. Appearing in the Bud Light ad. Bud Light. I'll bet you that, you know, that, that by a lot of rating agencies, uh, standards that increase their social. And see, I think that's really stupid. I think, but, I think and the I whole do thing, too. And I, I do too. And that's what social is becoming is, did you have the biggest float at the pride parade? Yeah. Not, which is, which is great. It's you know, virtue do signaling. stuff there, it's virtue signaling. you know, do, do something there, sponsor the little league, do, uh, you know, do other corporate type things and, you know, and that should be part of the whole mix of what you do. Yeah. Yeah, and let me let me let me be very clear. Uh, Bud Light advertising with a trans person, I don't care. I just don't care. If you care, you have a great life. If you if it bothers you that much, I want your life where I can have that problem where I care about trans people on a fucking Bud Light can. Now, like it's there's so many other issues going on in the world. This is oh, what people are mad about. Uh, and yeah, and and you wonder why the rest of the world looks at us and just kind of snickers. Yeah, I I I you know, hate what? I hate that it's a topic of conversation. But to the point of ESG, where it is relevant, it doesn't actually that the fact that that raises your score doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. No, it, it does. And if anything, it just it just makes companies pander. Yes, it does. It's pandering, and it's virtue signaling, and it's hollow. And everyone knows it's hollow. Everyone knows it's hollow. It's like it's more hollow than when a government official does it. Yeah. So, okay, so, let's, let's, let's. Yeah, that's, it. I mean, so the, the subjectivity of the social part and the fact that one rating agency can tell you that Tesla is the best company in the world and another one can tell you it's, it's ruining the earth. Well, there's I would, no I, consensus on the ratings as well. Let, let's go to the E, environmental. Yeah. So, Electric cars. Electric mm-hmm. cars are great. Don't use fossil fuels. Don't use gas. They use they use batteries and cobalt. You know what cobalt does? You know how they get cobalt out of the ground other than stuffing in children? Uh, it ruins the environment. Yeah. 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 That's, what, that's, that's exactly where I was going with that. that. That's, that's the hypocrisy behind electric vehicles. If you, want, if you want to save the environment, electric vehicles don't use electric vehicles. That's arguably worse. Coal and, coal and gas is bad. But EVs getting cobalt, like the car is great. How you build the car is ruining the environment. Yeah. And yeah. crypto. Crypto also ruins the environment too, allegedly. Uh, so your, your students, as, as you go by this, are they aware of all these things or do they kind of buy the narrative and go, this to play the game? You know, I, if I taught a marketing class, I'd probably have more insight into that because that's the kind of things they would talk about. Um, and, you know, honestly... Uh, yeah, you have to, yeah, you have to be careful what you talk about in the classroom sometimes. You don't want to so, get canceled, Russell. Yeah, no, well, it, you just don't want to trip up and accidentally, you know, I, I, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I'm tripping over not talking about a specific, specific story because it was another professor along those lines, but you can be very innocent and have no malice in things that you're saying and you can get twisted around. 
yeah. quite easily. Of course. And I have, and, and it has happened to me. And it was just, um, um, I was joking around with somebody and, you know, said, yeah, you know, we could do that. Just don't give me any shit and everything will be fine. I was like, you know, just kind of being friendly with them. And he responded and he goes, well, you know, that goes both ways. Uh-oh. And then I, <laughs> Account- and then, accountability. Uh, Don't mention but, accountability. But he, uh, he reported me and said that, um, that I had said something, um, you know, that I'd said, Don't give me a shit. But it was the whole context of the thing, you know. That's a damn thing. Whole context. So, okay, young people. You know, people in your generation love to say that people in my generation are going to ruin everything. And people mm-hmm. in my generation love to say, hey, it's your generation who is ruining everything. So for someone who is teaching the next generation, mm-hmm. how capable are their hands? And that goes for my hands too, these two hands right here. Are we going to pick up the torch and pick up where you left off? Are we going to start a new fire? Are we going to build a new village? Or are we screwed and just burn it all down? Oh, no, we're not screwed. We're, you, you guys are going to be fine. I, I have no concerns whatsoever. I've been teaching, you know, people at the university level for a, almost a decade now. And I, I see enough people that give me hope that I don't worry about. I, I don't worry about the future at That's all. Good. That's yeah. good. I, I do and I don't, right? Because the future is, well, okay, we'll define future. My future, I think my future is going to be just fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit of a struggle. It's not a real, it's not a deep struggle, but it's a sh- struggle but you work hard and I think I'll get through it. Now, the future of the country and the world, you know, I can say it's, I can say it's screwed, but nothing I can do about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's no, no. There's no point worrying about World War III where I live, one, so close to New York City, mm-hmm. and two, it's out of my hands. Yeah. You can only worry about things you can control. Yeah. The, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I said something negative. I, I, I don't feel like China's going to ever fully recover from the COVID thing. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. And I said that in a class with a Chinese national in the classroom, and they just popped right up. And it was like, oh, crap. Oops. <laughs> but not, nothing came of that. But I, um, you know, I, I, I worried about it. I really do. I, I worry about it sometimes. Which is just your opinion, right? In this yeah. country, you're allowed to have yeah. opinions for now. Um, for now. For, for China, I think China's biggest problem is uh, – there's not enough people to replace the old generation because they had that. Oh, no. That oh, they're a demographic band. time bomb. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Japan, too, right? Uh-huh. I, think, I think Japan has a birthing problem. But China specifically, China, you know, you can say China's going to be a problem in 40. There might not be a China in 40 years. There's not enough people. You know, uh, organically, and when I mean by organically, is just with the people in the borders at this very moment. Um, we're in the same situation. It's not as bad. But the big difference between us in Japan and China is we we actually do allow immigration. So we can continue to pull in from outside of the United States and maintain our population growth. There may be some people that don't like the composition of the population growth, but tough. Yeah. You know, if if you know if it it's for the greater good, then you know, I don't I, and you can come in and you got some skills and you can contribute to to keeping our country growing at a nice moderate pace where everybody has a nice life. Um, more power to you. I don't, you know, I don't care if we're all gray a hundred years from now. Elon, Elon has that concern where we're actually underpopulated as opposed to overpopulated. Yeah. And, and his reasoning is simple. We have, you always need more people to produce more, right? You always got to keep it coming. You need to have people yeah. to replace the people who are currently here. If the birthing rate declines too far, they're not going to be enough jobs. They're not going to be enough people to fill the jobs that needs and everything collapses. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I do think there's some merit to that, but it's like, okay, well, if you're so concerned about people having kids, make it more affordable and easier for people to have kids. Yeah. And my my yeah. dad's the oldest of six boys from the 50s to my husband, Uncle Matt, to like 19, mid, mid, 1969, let's say. So that, that nine years, my grandmother and grandparent had six kids. Find me, a, find me a parent right now who can afford six kids in this, in oh this, in this world. Oh, my gosh. It's impossible. Oh, my gosh. It's impossible. It is. People can't afford one kid. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's not impossible. You know, uh, at the beginning of Caddyshack, <laughs> and when the caddy's like lives in a house, he's a big, big Catholic house with like seven or eight kids. Yeah. And he's, uh, he had to put all the money that he made in the jar for everybody else. They're, that's what they're doing. That's what, if you're, if you're in a big family like that, that's, um, that's exactly what you're doing. You got to get the, you got the jar and you hide it in Marge's hair. Yeah. Well, even, even, hey. even the Brady Bunch, right? The Brady Bunch, he was an architect or a lawyer. Mr. He, was an, he was an architect. Architect. So he's an architect. Yeah. Wife didn't work, had a nanny at home, six kids on one salary. And that was like not unrealistic. He's a hell of an architect. Yeah. And like, but that wasn't that crazy unrealistic for that kind of time. I think did the mother work? I didn't watch a pretty bunch that much. I don't think, no, she was, you know, sitting around cutting flowers and crap. You yeah. know, she had a whatever, whatever TV moms did back had a, then. Had a knitting business Boozing. on the side that was off camera. Boozing. Boozing. But like <laughs> that, that was like an average lifestyle back then. And people were like, yeah. ah, that's just unbelievable now. But- if yeah. you got hope, I got hope. So, and besides, AI is going to come in, and the jobs aren't yeah. going to be there to begin with. So, yeah, we'll we'll finish this conversation off with Chat GPT. Russell, you are a professor. I'm sure you grade papers and have to deal with writing. I do grade papers, and um, there there there's this thing called plagiarism check where when people turn papers into me electronically, it automatically looks at it compared to papers that have been turned o- turned in all over the country. And I got a plagiarism score. Um, it also looks at, there, there are places you can go buy homework answers. Like there's this service called Chegg. So what I did was I, I had ChatGPT answer all of some essay questions I had a few weeks ago. And uploaded them to Chegg. Mm. Oh, you didn't. I did. Oh, you screwed so my, a whole so country. My pla- <laughs> so, my pla- so my plagiarism checker. Oh, well, it, it's only my homework. It's not right, anybody right, else's. But still, but still. But I did that. And then I just waited to see. And it, it, nobody used it. Um, but I was, I was going to, I really wanted to catch somebody. Right. Um, you know, my understanding is at some universities, and I, I don't know what our official deal is yet, but um, they've already said if if you use it for anything like that, you know, and turn it in as your work, uh, you're you're out, expelled. Now, yeah. Now I don't know how you prove it, and um, I've gone through, you know, academic. I've been on little academic committees when kids have done stupid things or whatever in the past, uh, and I know how much is involved in you know just giving someone an F if they appeal and say, I did not cheat, you know, or try to appeal the, the decision. Uh, there's a lot that goes around that kicking somebody out of school. I can only imagine, you know, how many hearings and. Yeah. Well, um, they're using it as a scare yeah. tactic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So clearly you are against chat GPT and these AI bots. So. Why? Yeah. Why? I, mean, I don't know. It just, it, we're already losing our ability to have original thoughts for so many different reasons. True. And 
you know, are we, every time somebody asks a question, are we going to just look at the computer and go, you know, you know, was Eleanor Roosevelt a lesbian, you know, and get an answer. Um, I don't know where that one came from, but let's, 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 look but you know what I'm saying? Like that. somebody, somebody says, Oh, you know, what, what was the score or whatever the other night? And you should remember the score of the game you were at the other night and you go, Hey, you know, Alexa, what's the, what was the score of the Sox game last night? You know, it, it, it's going to start to reach that point where, you know, we're not using our brain anymore. Well, I think we're pretty much already there. I, I think critical we're getting thinking, there. Critical thinking is lost on people. Like this is something I'd love to talk. Like I'm actually going to talk about in a few weeks with a guest of mine. Um, he's he does he does like political TikToks and he's incredible at it because he thinks he thinks very level headed. People cannot think that two things can be true at the same time. It's very hard for people to think that's either one or the other. And they get into camps and teams, um, and I don't think AI is going to help that. But when it no. comes when it comes to college and teaching, and because at the end of the day, AI is a tool, right? Yeah. It's it's not going to be the end of the world. It's the people who use it could bring the end of the world. But colleges as an institution, mm-hmm. what is the point of college? Um, I I think the at least with what I teach, there are things that I there are things I taught today that will be used by the same students in six months in their jobs. Right. So I am teaching them, um, you know, some, I, I, I really believe that I'm teaching a vocation. Excellent. I know it's, you know, business, I guess business school is a vocational type of school, but that that's, you know, how I think about that one. Now, if you start to deviate into some other majors, uh, that's, that's where you start to have some issues. Okay. So let's, 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 yeah. let's, let's, keep to, let's keep to your major. So the point yeah. of a business major, your class, the point of your job as a professor is to prepare your kids for the job they're going to get out of school. The tools and how they're going to use those tools in the job that they're going to get when they get out of school. Right. So Think about, them being, think about it being like an apprenticeship. Right. So whether, yeah. that's my point. Whether, mm-hmm. you, whether you like it or not, and I'm going to pick on you because you're right in front of me, but this goes for any professor, any university out there. Chat GBT and AI is going to be one of those tools. Oh so, yeah, no, so, and and you, you know what? You, my version of that tool was was the, encyclop- uh, the encyclopedia. Yeah, the world books on world on books. the shelf. And you know, if it was uh, you know, what color were dinosaurs? Like, go look up dinosaurs and read that, and then you know, and then write something that went through my brain. Based on what, you know, don't, I, I remember there was one kid that turned in a report and he, he plagiarized it so bad. The last paragraph was see also green plants, brown plants. He actually did all the references at the end of his, uh, of his, uh, he didn't think for himself at all is the point. You know, if I've, if I've got a question about uh, what are the uses of duration, I don't have a problem with somebody putting in a chat GPT, what are the uses of duration, reading about it, and then turning around and answering the question. I really don't. Um, You know, the fact, so being able to list those off, ChatGPT, being able to tell you what they are, that's great, but you're going to need to be able to apply that information when you reach it, you know, when you're out in the work world. And that chat GPT is not going to really be able to do that for you. Well, that's going to come on an individual basis, right? You can, you can bring a horse, you can bring the horse to water, right? You can't teach it to drink, yada, yada, yada. But if these if these if these jobs are going to be using ChatGPT, like say there's a job description, right? So you you can use ChatGPT to use this, and they go, hey, I couldn't do that in school; I would have gotten expelled. 
they can't well they can't do that know, job anymore. And you as an educator is to get them prepared and use the tools for those jobs. Especially you know, the jobs they're, they're going into <clears throat> are going to be using the tool. When, when so how do you balance that? Well, I mean, I kind of give it to you. Um, <clears throat> when we um, when I first took finance, we had to use these funny tables that would give yeah. us a factor to to solve for a number. Now I put a command in Excel and I get the answer. Right now, when I do my homework, which was by hand when I was taking finance in college, uh, I would you know I had to write out everything that I was doing. If I had done everything in a spreadsheet and turned it in, they would have said I was cheating. Yeah. You see what I'm, yeah. I'm kind of going with that? Yeah, I, so, I think they would be wrong there too. Yeah. I mean, well, they, it, it, they're teaching it the way they're, they're supposed to teach it. Um, needless to say, I really try to avoid that one. But, um, but that, that's kind of my point. You know, that's kind of the thing with chat GPT. Um, yeah, you know, if you if you need it to look something up when you're doing your job, that's and you're able to interpret what you look up for your job, that's great. Uh, the ability to do that, hopefully, you acquired it while you're in school. Because I I don't think ChatGPT is going to replace anyone's job. It's going to create a new job where people are required to use it to benefit the job that already exists. Mm-hmm. ChatGPT is not going to on its own do a job by itself. Someone has to use that job. Like, like if you're a fact checker at, you know, a magazine and right. I assume they still have those. Uh, well, depends you know, on the magazine. Like, okay. So at a, <laughs> at a higher end magazine, you got, you have fact checkers. They quite possibly are using things like chat GPT already. They probably were using Google yeah, uh, before that. So they're going to use the latest tools at hand. Uh, it's probably going to make their jobs easier. You might be able to go from four to three. Michael J. Fox gets the boot. Yep. Um, so. I, th- I think, I, yeah. I think there's ways that you can teach it and mm-hmm. use it at a university that doesn't get rid of cheating to get that grade, to get, uh-huh. to get that grade, to just be an arbitrary thing of saying, mm-hmm. Hey, I learned something. Well, there's a, there is a class uh, that's being taught by an outgoing professor. He created it for one semester. Um, he is actually teaching uh, AI in business, and he and they are doing a lot with uh, Chat GPT. Yeah, because so I do use it. I play around with it. Uh, my social mm-hmm. posts, my YouTube descriptions. Let me tell you, Russell. Mm-hmm. I started this podcast in January of 2020. Uh, by December 20, 2022, excuse me. By December 20, January 2022, December 2022. Easy for me to say. It's been a long podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, my <laughs> views were just over fifty thousand. From me oh, writing, cool. my own, writing my own descriptions, what this, that, and the other. Uh, since then, I am at 175,000. What's the difference? I started using ChatGPT in February. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, I don't, I don't just copy Man. and paste, copy and paste. Yeah. I use it to like, listen, I need keywords. I need hashtags. What's trending on you? It can do all those things. I don't have the hmm. time. I just can't do Right, but ChatGPT is never going to do that by itself. I have to learn and yeah. teach myself how to yeah. use the tool. Now, does that mean it? That, does that take away from the integrity of my podcast? Well, no. You you can be the judge. Some people can say, "Yeah, I prefer your own voice." It's like, well, I'm just my view of it is, is listen. This is a way this to get into the algorithm. My yeah. like this is a way for me to get seen. This is an invitation into the party. If my podcast sucks, guess what? I'm gonna get kicked out of the party. Yeah, but I'm still in the party. 
Now, yeah, if, if, if a college gives, is going to be like- It gives you a shot. Yeah, it gives you a shot. But if a college is going to be like this, like, hey, listen, man, this is cheating. You can never use it ever when the rest of the world is still using it. That, to me, is just another reason not to go to college. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the, the actual application is, is the part that we do more and more of. Uh, I mean, when, you, when you start out your first semester in, in the Kelly School of Business, you do something called i Okay. which combines all the disciplines into one giant case study. So you you pick up experience in i and I think uh, when they interview for internships and then interview for jobs, they'll talk about what they did within i as well. Um, I haven't been included in it yet, so I don't I don't know everything about how it works, but I, I know what the outcome is because I see that every year. And it's, right. a, it's a full semester working in a group on something that is applicable to the real world. All right. Excellent. All right, Russell. That's that was. I'll I'll drop the chat GPT because we've been going for a little over an hour and just about hour and twelve minutes. But before we go, the Uh final question of the Talking with Tarashik podcast always goes to the guest. You have known me for a few years now from behind Mm -hmm. the mic. Now you know me in front of the mic. Uh, Anything you've ever wanted to ask me? Now is a chance. If you got oh nothing, I'd like to pull this. Oh, I I do. I do. But I'm going to allow you to plead the fifth. All right, please ask it away. Uh, how's your, uh, relationship with, um, the person whose name starts with J? Oh, Jill. Yeah. Jill. Jill. Well, you, you, I, I, I know. No, Jill, sorry, Jill, I mean, Jill was a former guest on this podcast. I okay, should send you that link. So Jill is actually okay. a guest on the, I, I love working okay. with Jill. So yeah, well, I, I do too. I do too. I do yeah. too. I was just, I, I've never worked with her the, the way that you do, yeah. you know? And I was just wondering, I wonder if she's like, just, you know, Come on, she no, seems no, cool. She no. seems cool whenever we're doing setup. But, Jill, Jill yeah. is like Jill's like a big sister. Um, okay, cool. We, we have we have that kind of relationship where I can I can like cause, you know we go on the road too. Um, yeah, so like we, yeah. We, we covered. Uh, we were in Vegas twice. We were in Miami twice, and um, we were in another conference next week, and then wherever. So like we're mm-hmm. not at the conference. It's Jill and I like, at, the, at the hotel bar or whatever, just talking and shooting the shit. Like, it's oh, she's great. Like, yeah, yeah. She's, she's just, she's like one of the boys, right? She's just, yeah. she's amazing. She's an incredible boss, um, very thorough, and she gives me leeway. She loosens up my leash cool. and lets me explore and play and do things on my own. But if I fuck up, she'll hit me over the head, right? And then, and then, and then, and then rein me back in. But that's good. That's, yeah. why, that's why I like from the manager. Listen, let me, here's the mm-hmm. playground, here are the rules. Let me play. If I break the rules, you know, hit me over the head. Yeah. So she's phenomenal. You know, she knows my goals, her, my goals are her goals. And, it's just two of us. Trade Talks is yeah. just the two of us. Um, and it's a tight run shipping. We had 11 hits eleven hits today. Cool. Because April's financial literacy month. So, yeah. My relationship with Jill is phenomenal. And it's all my managers, which is kind of funny because all my managers in my professional life have all been women. And they've, oh, wow. And they've all been phenomenal. So, that's just, that's just I guess it's just a great old coincidence. But that's a good question. It also. is. That's, you're, a, good, you're, that's a good question. Yeah. So, and, very like, and I, I tried to, I don't know, dance around it as much as I could there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Poorly. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a secret that I work for trade talks. That's my nine to five. Job. Oh, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't that part. It was the actual individual. Oh, I was trying to ask you. Actually, actually talking about, actually talking about Jill. Well, yeah. Yeah. If, if, like, if, if, yeah, if, like if, if I started Jill's... to ask it and I started, you know, and I was like, well, I would ask him if we weren't being recorded. So you may as well just ask him now. Yeah. If, if so. Jill sucked, I would plead the fifth. <laughs> but so luckily, I kind of figured. Luckily, Jill is the best. Jill, if you're watching. You're the greatest, and I know I'm the greatest too. 
All right, so, well, so that, that concludes our podcast. Anything you want to plug, anything you want to share? I know you have a bunch of books out there. I think you have a, you have a new book coming out. I don't know. If you have I more- got, I'm supposed to be finishing a book about Warren Buffett, but um, I'm, I got, I got a little bit behind on a lot of things because of that. I uh, just was, I, I had a bad incident and I was out of, out of commission for a couple of weeks there. But, so right. I'm, I'm behind on everything right now. And which means nothing is coming out anytime soon. All right. So if you have anything you want to share, you've got a website, socials, people can get, get in touch with you. Um, the floor is yours, my friend. Give, give, okay. it, give uh, it away. Probably the easiest thing is on my Twitter, which is my full name. Uh, R U S S E L L R H O A D S. That's just the at, uh, if you get a, uh, if you get a newscaster in Tampa that, you know, seems to keep getting DUIs or something like that. You've got the wrong Russell Rhodes. That's not me. Um, I'm at, I'm at the Kelly school of business, but I think that's the one that I get mistaken for every once in a while. You scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, luckily, <laughs> luckily, I don't know how I'm going to follow that up, but here we go. <laughs> luckily, there's only one Will Tarashek, because ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Talking with Tarashek podcast. My name is Will Tarashek. T is in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. A big thank you to my guest, Russell Rhodes. Uh, man, I have a lot of respect for a very smart man, and man will be back on this podcast. My uh, thing is once a quarter. Uh, if you want to find me, it's Talking with Tarashek. Um, T is Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K, at Instagram, uh, TikTok and YouTube is talking with Tara Shuck. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to me via email, will at APSpodcast.com. That's APSPODCAST.com. And let me know why. If you make me go, ooh, that's interesting. Congratulations. You're going to be on the show. It's going to be a great bunch of fun. Um, you get copies of every piece of content I create with social copy with the help of chat GPT. You can use them. You cannot use them however you want. My last guest, Desmond, used all of them and. He's, that's why he was in the top five of all-time favorite podcasts. Down below in the description, I have a GoFundMe link. Uh, this podcast is 100% free, but it's not free to do it. So please help me out. Any donations you can give to your boy to help uh, me buy a house and get married and build this business would be a great help. If not, enjoy the free content, you freeloader. I'll be back next week talking to someone. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't want to look it up. But until then, well, we'll see you there. But until then. Y'all take care.